What you're hearing is the celebration that erupted in Oakdale, Minnesota, when Sunisa Lee won gold in the all-around final at the Olympics. Suni is the first Hmong American to compete at the Olympic Games, winning three medals. This Hmong girl is super proud of her hometown hero for holding a community, a team, and the country on her shoulders. Welcome to Counter Stories, a show by people of color for people of color and everyone else. I'm Haley Lee, owner of the Other Media Group and producer of this show. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dendros Group and executive director of the Arts Us Center for the African Diaspora. I'm Luz Maria Frias, deputy attorney general with the state of Minnesota. Any comments or opinions that I voice during this podcast are solely my own and should not be attributed to my employer. Don Eubanks couldn't join us today as he's driving his daughter back down to Iowa for her next semester of college. Have a great year, Gabby. Well, um, last week we took uh, some time off and a lot has happened, mainly, um, especially for us here in the Twin Cities, our hometown hero, Sunisa Lee, um, won gold, silver, and bronze at the Olympics and has really put Minnesota and St. Paul in the spot in the national and international spotlight. Um, I'll let you guys know I've been Team Sunisa for a long time. We are distantly related, um, lots of folks in common. I know I get that a lot, A, because I'm Hmong, and B, because we have the same last name. So, yes, we are distantly related. Um, and I, I, I did get up early. I didn't go to the Oakdale screening, uh, the Oakdale watch party. Um, a couple of my sisters did and my aunties. I did get up and watch it with my Sunisa shirt um, for the all around. And it's been it's been really exciting. It's but also kind of like I, it makes me a little bit nervous. So uh, what are you guys thinking? Well, my um, my niece actually trains at the same gym. And so there is that personal hometown connection, too. And so um, we we. We waited for the videos. We didn't stay up and watch. We waited <laughs> to see it, uh, you know, the the pre-recordings of it. But um, we were we were definitely excited, especially given all the stuff that happened with Simone Biles, to still have not just a hometown person, but a hometown person who's a person of color mattered a lot to us. And so we were all glued watching uh, the videos as they streamed to us. Um, we were so excited. Similarly speaking, for us um, in our home, we were glued to the TV. We watched the video much like you, Anthony. We didn't stay up. Our oldest daughter had actually been a, a very um, successful gymnast uh, locally when she was young. She had uh, competed nationally and internationally and uh, didn't place lower than a second place um, standing on, on any of the events. So she she uh, won all states all around for the state of Minnesota and then won a oh, number wow. of titles around the country as well. And internationally, uh, she placed second on that one as well. Oh, wow. So we, I didn't know that. We, yeah, we've been um, really excited to see how these young women mature in the lessons that are taught along the way, but also the pressure that's on them. Um, when our oldest daughter was competing, we had some cutthroat 
parents come up to us and ask us some of the most bizarre questions. I remember hmm. when she was nine years old and she she was so talented that at nine, she was part of a training group that was four to five, six years older than she. So as a nine-year-old, being exposed to the conversations of a 14, 15, 16-year-old, there's a big gap there in terms of emotionally and then also physically, of course. And I remember uh, one day waiting for her to finish with their practice at the gym. And one parent, a father of one of the other gymnasts who were her age, came up and asked me, point blank, uh, blank rather, uh, what I was feeding her. And I looked at him <laughs> quizzically like, I, I don't understand your question. And then I facetiously said, you mean food? And he says, <laughs> he says, well, I want to know how many grams of protein you feed her every day. And I looked at him and said, look, buddy, you've got me all wrong. I mean, my husband and I have both demanding careers. We don't have relatives in town. We're juggling our schedules just to get her here. And then we've got a younger child, uh, four years younger. So we don't have time uh, to have any of those types of orchestrated protein meal planning, um, you know, parts on a daily basis or ever. Um, and I said, we, we don't measure that. We don't, we don't account for that. Uh, and actually my husband and I have it at that point hadn't had, uh, we were quasi vegetarians and hadn't had red meat or pork in over 20 years. Um, so I, I responded in that way. And he looked at me in disbelief. He says, so you're not going to tell me. And I said, I just answered your question. I said, why are you asking me? And he says, well, it's clear you're doing something that you're not sharing because your daughter is the strongest one, you know, with regard to her peers. And she's overperforming, winning all these, you know, titles and trophies and things of that sort. And I just looked at him and said, look, we tell our daughter every day when we drop her off, please have fun out there, go have fun. And then when we pick her up, we ask her how much fun she had. We don't pressure her to do anything, to have a certain score on any um, meet or any event, whether it's uh, tumbling or one of the uh, apparatus uh, type of, um, you know, competitions. Uh, and he just, you know, he just sat there and, and kept badgering me with questions. At some point, I just kind of walked away and said, you know, you, you've got some stuff to, <laughs> to figure out on your own um, because some parents do live vicariously through their children and pressure them to, you know, to have a certain type of meat, right? Uh, I actually heard parents later on, a few weeks after that, discussing that when they drop off their daughter for a competition, they would say, you need to score a 9.5 or a 9.3 on beam <laughs> or on bars. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to get this or that, you know, and, and deprive them of their privileges. And I just think that's way too much pressure because they're already feeling pressure on their own. They don't need parents to add to that pressure. Well, it, Sunisa said that in one of the interviews that she said, she tried not to think about the fact that with Simone withdrawing, she felt that a lot of the pressure that was on her to deliver for the team went to, for, that was on Simone to deliver for the team went to her um, and, and had to, to, to 
she said her response, but she said, I tried not to think about that. Just focus on myself and do what I normally do because that's when I compete the best, which is something um, that we saw Simone Biles try to convince folks to do as much as possible. And she came out swinging. I mean, <laughs> not only did she do well in, in, the, in the competition, but what you, what you brought forward, Luz, underscores the pressures that are at this level, not only to perform and to, and to, and to bring something back for us, but you know, in what you said, you made it about what your daughter's needs were. You made it about what the needs of, of, of the competitor are, not what the needs of the folks who are sitting on the sidelines, not throwing their, putting their bodies on the line. I think that's an important distinction, not just for um, the congratulations for Sunisa. I think need to um, need to include uh, being proud of 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 how she was able to take the pressure of that stage um, for any as an athlete. Period. In addition to being excellent, um, mm-hmm. I think that can't be underscored enough in not only her win but also in um, the cho- the choice of Simone Biles to withdraw because. I mean, you're throwing yourself in a space that could, you know, ain't nobody getting their neck broken curling. <laughs> ain't nobody getting their neck broken playing tennis, <laughs> right? So I'm sorry. I don't want to hear nothing about, <laughs> you know, who, what, how you should deal with pressure from mm-hmm. anybody who ain't in that space with them, put risking themselves in the same way. Right. And I, you know, I was really, um, <laughs> the, this, I keep seeing this headline that um, Sunisa blames social media for her performance um winning you know on the on the uneven bars because she had said um i'm gonna stay on social media so i can focus on training people were saying that she's blaming social media but i don't think it's blaming it's it's a distraction it's pressure it's additional pressure being put on her not only by everybody in the world but by the moon community people in her own community right mm-hmm. i mean i don't think that it was meant as as pressure but talking about how great somebody is and how great someone's going to do that's a <laughs> lot of pressure on someone there was a lot of pressure because she was the first Hmong American to go to the Olympics. And so everybody was already watching mm-hmm. her. And then when Simone stepped back and she stepped forward, it really did fall on her. And then each individual event afterward, I could just feel like there was just so much pressure on her because, of course, you know, if you're in social media, the day that she won the all around gold, um, NBC doesn't play it until prime time it uh, happens really at like four or five a.m mm-hmm. one of my sisters was like i don't want to know i don't want to know and it was just like well then you're just going to stay up all social media tv radio all media until prime time because it was all over if i was sunisa lee and i saw this i mean i would feel so loved and happy but also i can just imagine the pressure well, you know, you mentioned social media, Lee, uh, it's my understanding that overnight she gained 1 million additional followers, uh, <laughs> which, you know, that in and of itself tells you how big the pressure is, right? But in addition to that is people need to recognize, A, she's only 18. And psychologically, there's evidence that she tells us that the human brain isn't really mature, so to speak, until age 24, 25. So imagine an 18-year-old shouldering all of that pressure. And then secondly, when you think about pressure, there's also the coach's pressure. 
pressuring the gymnast. And that is very real. Uh, and then you've got your teammates who are pressuring you to deliver, but then also you're competing against them. So the dynamics mm-hmm. are, are, are more complex than they would be in other settings. So going back to my daughter, when my daughter left her original gym because um, they had some turnover in staffing and coaching. So we transferred her over to a different gym and it was great. Uh, those coaches were both Olympians in, in Belarus. And so they, they were high caliber. Well, she, my daughter ran into her old coach at a meet and the way she treated her was as if she's just a commodity. She was so angry at my daughter for having transferred because that that gym, her old gym, was no longer bringing in the trophies and the standings that came with my daughter's uh, success. And she was resentful. The coach was res- her old coach was resentful for her not doing that. And I'll tell you that took a psychological toll on my daughter, thinking that she competed for them for over five years, and this is now how she's going to be treated by this former coach. I mean, really not seeing her humanity at all and instead just seeing her as a commodity for her to to gain from in terms of the status of that gym. Luz, did your daughter ever uh, aspire to go to the Olympics? There's a there's a good question. There's a program uh I I, I think it's still the same. It's called TOPS TOPS oh, yeah. where it's a it's gets you on the, the track for the Olympics and the elite uh, competitive level. And you've got to test in to be able to qualify. So yep. those recruiters come around, go around the country uh, testing young girls. And she tested and passed, but she was off by the cutoff date by six months. Mm. Oh. Yeah. And um, she was sad. And actually, one of her coaches, kind of, he cried because um, he 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 couldn't believe that she couldn't go further um, at the national level, of course. And quite honestly, we we were disappointed. But at the same time, we were relieved because we knew that it would be a toll on her emotionally and physically. I mean, you talk about injuries. There were kids, girls at the gym we were at who had suffered really bad injuries, such as a broken back or broken mm. hips or broken arms. I mean, we're talking serious injuries uh, that will live with you for the rest of your life. Uh, luckily, she did not. Um, I had her start... Uh, doing acupuncture when she was age nine. Anytime she had any type of injury or at least something that was sore, I just take her in the acupuncture and make sure that they addressed her um, her pain level. But also, acupuncture can be very therapeutic with regard to stress relief, and so I would bring, I would take her in for that as well. And luckily, uh, knock on wood, she never suffered a big injury, uh, unlike some of the other girls uh, in her gyms. You know, I, I think what can't be underscored is you talk about the lengths um, in the um, 
what's 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 the word? I mean, the the dedication, the sheer risking of <laughs> bodily injury. You know, this it takes a lot to get to this this moment, and I think that's important, particularly because of the fact that. Um, Sunisa represents such an important first for the Hmong community here. I mean, we have, here's a community that we, um, that, that fought a secret war on our behalf in their own space that we attempted to turn our backs on and then, um, and then, and then try to, to correct that with, with refugee status. And, and now we have, you know, Hmong communities in Minnesota, California, and other parts of the United States. So, you know, for somebody whose parents were, um, you know, had that harrowing experience of having to to leave a place because they su- they supported the you know the U.S. Army in the secret war. Um, now to have somebody who's who's representing the entire United States at this level, given all that you said it takes to even get to that level, I mean that's huge. That's huge in terms of just one you know validation and participation in this in this quote unquote American experiment. But then also, you know, putting onto the map a community who has, in many different ways, tried their tried as much as possible to, 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 you know, I don't know what this what way, way to say it, but to kind of get that badge of acceptance that we all have mm-hmm. not received or or received in various different ways and 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 sacrificed for, you know, regardless of how you feel about that, we this is an an important moment. For a community of refugees who who are are trying to to be full citizens here, you know, and I don't mean that in terms of citizenship. I mean that in terms of acknowledgement for for you know, if we ask the question, who made America what it is, right? Now we have uh, uh, the Hmong community has you know one notch higher in that in that space of saying we are part of that mix. Yeah, and Hmong American was um, like a. a he a Google search term that just blew up after mm. Sunisa won. And I think sometimes, you know, people hear representation matters. And it's really, it might be really hard for some folks to understand, but my niece got up at 3 a.m. to watch Sunisa compete. And it was like she she finally thought, hey, maybe I can do that. Hmm. And it it, it just, it, it, my heart was just like, you know, it, it really, it really does matter to see somebody who looks like you get to this stage. I mean, I remember after the 1996 Olympics, we were so into gymnastics that uh, my dad <laughs> took apart um, a, a picnic table and the two by fours that were there, he placed on the ground in, in our backyard and we would do flips and stuff on it and pretend mm. that we were gymnasts. But like, we never knew where to go. You know, my parents didn't know how to sign us up for lessons or any of that. And so now we're looking and we're going, you know, my niece is now doing gymnastics. And my sister-in-law um, was did gymnastics um, all through college. And it's like, these things are now attainable. Where our parents, our generation, we didn't know where to go. Kali, you bring up such an important part about uh, Hmong being, um, you know, Google, the most popular term being Googled uh, the next day. I mean, there are thousands, if not millions of people across our country and around the world that the first time they even heard of Hmong people would have been with this competition, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are folks who were not informed of that. 
And then the other part here is, I love that her dad, John, is, is receiving the attention that he is and how close they are. But there's also the mom. I mean, yes, the mom thank you. also yes. validated for the sacrifices that she's made. And culturally speaking, you know, I, I want you to address that, too, in terms of role of women in the Hmong culture. Because in, in our community, in the Latino culture, particularly the Mexican culture, of which I am a part of, there are some very defined and limited roles, particularly with young girls, how you dress, what you do, who you do that with, where you're at, you know, um, outside of your parents' visions. I mean, the prospect of any of us as young girls sleeping overnight, anyone's mm, yeah. house other than my our own home was prohibited, carte blanche. We mm. were not allowed to sleep anywhere else overnight, even if it was our cousins or our neighbors, nothing. It, you know, there's just very provincial uh, and, and very protective. Uh, and that's, I mean, that is something that still accounts for some of the behavior that's going on in our Mexican community here, locally in the US and in Minnesota in particular, where you still see those very rigid and provincial mindsets that are part of the culture. I mean, I was surprised when, you know, her mother said, oh, she really liked, you know, flipping and, and doing monkey bars. And so I signed her up for gymnastics. And I was like, good for you for even like knowing how to find those classes, you know, because she's like my parents' generation. And so, you know, I was like, I just thought good for you because we, at, when we were younger, we didn't know where to go. Um, I get that everybody kind of gloms on to the story of, of John and Sunisa's relationship. And he was in an accident uh, and became paralyzed right before she was to compete. That's the Hollywood story everybody likes to glom onto. Right. And then it, you know, it came out that, um, he's not her biological father. And then all this, I literally saw a headline for like People Magazine that said, who is Sunisa's real father? Yeah, I saw that as well. Yeah, I was oh, like, he, he's her father, you know? <laughs> and and so, yeah, there, there's a lot of Hmong women on social media going, we need to recognize the mother too, because she was the one who recognized that Sunisa had this interest and this passion that she wanted to foster. And you're right, some, you know, I was doing th programs and extracurricular things when I was in high school, and my dad always came with me because he was so protective. He would come and he would talk to all the adults. And if we wanted to do something, if we wanted to do something that went late or we wanted to travel uh, outside of like St. Paul, Minneapolis, you know, my dad was like, OK, I want to know. I want to, you know, he was so protective. And I can see like, you know, that that would him being at all her practices might have been that protectiveness that really because, you know, we can't become corrupt um, that really kind of foster that relationship. And so it may, it may seem like, you know, that that's why she has such a close relationship with her father, but that doesn't mean she doesn't have a close relationship with her mother. It's just not that Hollywood narrative that people love. That's well, right. It, it, it also, you know, it's not the, the, the reason why communities from their perspectives are, are so excited about this. I can remember back to Dominique Dawes and, 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 and um and that Gabby dream Douglas. team mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right Gabby Douglas is in that yeah. mix right so we we've I, I understand what it what what that that first 
looks like, you know, mm-hmm. particularly in this in this sport, which can be so expensive and time consuming. That that's another yeah. piece. I mean, I saw an interview. Sinisa's like, I was at the gym every day. Like, you get to this level by putting in that hard, difficult work. And so, one of the things that um, I, I underscore is the fact that what we are actually proud of or the reason why we're so excited the reason why you know we're we're now planning what her return her triumphant entry re-entry mm-hmm. into Minnesota is going to be with all the elected officials and stuff here um you know those there's so many reasons why we are excited about this that are not part of what is and we we talk about this a lot on counter stories dominant cultural desires wants needs understanding tends to drive what people cover even if the communities, in this case, Hmong community, uh, communities of color, the community of St. Paul, we have, have a very different reason for why this matters to us and, and, and where is that coverage going to be? Instead, to your point, Lee, we see the, or you, and, and you lose, the bleeds it leads, um, mm-hmm. you know, approach to looks that's looking for all these extra reasons um, why this is significant outside of a first, right? The first, you know, it, it, it's, it said the first Asian uh, uh, person to, to win at this level, let alone a first Hmong community member to win at this level. We have somebody who, who, who comes from, you know, refugee, more, more recent refugee experience or whose parents do, and um, it competing at this level and representing. Those are the reasons why we are excited. Instead, what we start to see in the media uh, landscape, particularly in, in, in the big headlines, are... Um, things that question, uh, you know, who she is or how she got here or who is this person, the surprise at that and the quote unquote attempts at trying to make scandal out of Simone Biles taking care of herself, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and taking the role in large part as coach as she moves out the way because for her own safety and for the, for the team's performance and makes way, not, not, it, it not just makes doesn't make way for Sinisa, although Sinisa herself said, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for, you know, so Simone's help and, and connection, even though she's talented herself. But she also made way for other members of the team to, sh- to, 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 to shine. And then coach, Sinisa said, um, I was starting to put a lot of pressure on myself. And she said that Simone and other teammates gave her key advice to help her deal with and process the pressure now that she was on the stage and she delivered. I think that's amazing. I think that's important. It doesn't take away from anybody else, but we keep trying to be steered towards um, headlines and reasons that this is significant that aren't our own. And that is problematic for me. I agree. And, and I'm, I'm glad that you, you noted that with respect to the relationship between uh, Sunisa and Simone. Make no mistake, while they're teammates, they're also competing against each other, right? <laughs> and yep. it, it would be very easy for them not to have the level of camaraderie that they do have. But it's clear that it's authentic that they have that camaraderie. And the other part to add to your list, Anthony, of, of how the media is portraying this, every time I would hear the media use the word quit with regard to Simone, hmm. Simone Miles quit this, she quit that. She, you know, she didn't quit. She withdrew. There's a big difference. Quitting means she's walking away from the sport. She's walking away um, from supporting her teammates. She withdrew. And she withdrew for a really good reason, a mental health reason. And, and the fact that if she were to have continued on and not withdrawn, 
that there were serious risks in terms of physical injury. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we talk about what it took, the, the courage for her to step away at that time, of course, is something that is so solid. And at first, you know, the, the media coverage I was listening and seeing was very negative and it was very judgmental, blaming Simone Biles for potentially losing on behalf of the U.S. It's like this this feeling of entitlement that folks and newscasters were imposing on her, right? Rather than saying, <laughs> we support you. We support you in what you're doing. And the other part of this is that the narrative narrative didn't start to shift or pivot until at least that I could see these white athletes who became then more vocal and supporting Simone for her decision. Then there seemed to be more legitimacy, quote unquote. But at the same time, I'm asking myself, really, it's going to take that? You can't validate her concerns for as much as we have during these last year and a half of the pandemic, we know the mental toll the pandemic has taken on most of the folks in this country and quite honestly around the world. And somehow they've compartmentalized this, this idea of the fact that mental health is health. Mm-hmm. It, and, and it's not any less than a physical injury. And I remember seeing Andrew Joyce the first night, who's a longtime NBC correspondent, asking Simone about her withdrawal and and Simone was being very um you know just uh very responsive saying no we're going to take it one day at a time it's an approach that we find uh that is is necessary given by um that my medical you know providers that I need to to just sit out until we're able to resolve this and Andrea Joyce says but it's not a physical injury, right? Oh and when God. she said that, I, I about lost it. You know, I thought I need to call NBC and just tell these folks, what is up with you? Why, why are you antagonizing and attacking this young woman as if you have some sort of entitlement to what she should do? Because by virtue of, of her standing as a U.S. gymnast, that that gives you that entitlement. Uh, the the thing that I that really bothered me was people who were saying that she betrayed the U.S. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> we're not at war, you guys. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I was like, she didn't. I I, I couldn't understand how people felt um, so personal about her. Um, stepping away and calling her a traitor because she wanted to focus on herself. Like being an athlete means you're our property and we can demand you to do what we want you to do. With, without any, see, see, I I love, I love some of the conversations that folks have pushed back on this, let alone the fact that, you know, we have a a tennis player who made comments about dealing with pressure themselves and then slammed and destroyed their racket Mm -hmm. when they got beat. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. um, You know, and even though that the, the, the comments, uh, you know, weren't necessarily directed at Simone Biles, it was very clearly in the mix because it would, it, it, it stunk of, and it's one of those dog whistles that tends to come out where I don't explicitly say it's about somebody, but we know who it's about. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we had a, a, a president for a long time who would do this. But but I, I love some of the pushback. You know, the clapback game in support of Simone Biles 
is off the chain. My favorite comes from uh, McSweeney's um, Are You Allowed to Criticize Simone Biles Decision mm-hmm. Tree by Carlos Greaves. <laughs> and the questions are simple. Are you a gymnast? If the answer is yes, <laughs> keep going. Yeah. If the answer is no, then then you're done. Have you ever competed at the international stage? If the answer is yes, yeah. then keep going. If the answer is no, don't. Here we go. Did you win four gold medals in women's gymnastics at the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio de Janeiro? If the answer is not yes, then you have to get off the tree. You can no longer <laughs> Keep commenting. Have you single-handedly revolutionized your sport, including but not limited to inventing four mind-bogglingly complex original moves that you are now named for? If the answer is not yes, then get off the field. Have you survived growing up in a foster care system and later being sexually assaulted by uh, team doctor of USA Gymnastics? Nope. Get off. Um, and then the last one, are you Simone Biles? If the answer is no, then exit stage left. I think what needs to be added to this mix is the fact that both Sunisa and Simone and that entire team had been preparing. You know, you don't just show up and decide what tricks you're going to do, right? You prepare Mm -hmm. in advance. So I get all of that preparation and everybody's got their role to play. You got your whole team game and then you get there and the Olympic committee says, well, you're too good. So we're not going to give you credit for all the stuff right. that you can do that others can't. This Let's go there. Let's come go on, there. Come on. Because how, 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 how many times have we policed the exceptionalism of folks to the, your earlier point, Luz? What do you feed her? There has to be something above and beyond normal excellence that is at play here because my kids are getting beat. This, this idea of, you know, of quote unquote being fair, you know, to, to me, that is, is one of the major competing factors. It isn't just the pressure at that stage. Simone had to then go through the, do I sit and redo all of the routine? Do we go through the process of redoing all of the stuff we prepared for because we sent somebody who's too excellent for folks to score that. You know, I, I, I get trying to, to, to dissuade people from tr- attempting things that are unsafe. I get that conversation. Have that conversation before you have the, the greatest of all time <laughs> come into the mix and then tell them that they aren't going to get credit for their excellence. That is unacceptable. And, and I can only see that continuing to be the trajectory for folks who now know that they, there's things that they can accomplish that are much more beyond what we set as a standard for women's gymnastics. This this is an important conversation that needs to be in the mix. Well, and to your point, Anthony, that scrutiny appears to be consistently applied only to black and brown athletes and not to their white counterparts. I mean, if you think about the greatest of all times in hockey or um, in baseball and things of that sort, they, they still were able to get recognized and not be held to a different standard because, uh, or golf, you know, where uh, they're able to excel in, but they were incredibly scrutinizing of Simone Biles because she can do something that nobody else does. Well, guess what? Gymnasts today are, without even factoring Simone Biles, are doing and engaging in skills that are multiple times more complex than gymnasts were doing 10 years ago, mm-hmm. 20 years ago, 50 years ago. And that's the nature of the sport. And otherwise, we would see the same skills over and over. Nadia Komanich, when she had mm. her perfect 10. Thank you for going there. Come on. When she had her perfect 10s, they gave her at one time like five 10s in a row. Unheard of. 
But then they started being more filtering after that, and particularly with with gymnasts who, you know, are are people of color in my mind. And and that's frustrating when you think about how you have this double standard and how you're going to then begin to judge and scrutinize the actions of particular um, athletes versus others. How do you, how else do you inspire people other than challenging them with new skill sets and developing routines that are named after you? And the fact of the matter is she trains really, really hard. I mean, it's a full-time <laughs> job at that level. Mm-hmm. It is a full-time job to train as much as she loves. I'll give you an idea. Our daughter that I referenced earlier, she was training 25 hours a week. Mm. And then when we went uh, to meets, I mean, that stuff was expensive. Out of mm-hmm. town meets, flying her to places, hotel expenses, all of that. This is not something that is done on a lark. This is a commitment by everyone in her in her family. And speaking of family, let's not lose sight of the fact that she disclosed, Simone Biles disclosed that her aunt had passed away two days before during the Olympics, two days before she competed on beam as an in, on the individual events. You think about that additional grief and sorrow and weight and the fact that she can't be with her family physically to comfort them or be comforted. You know, it's just the amount of unreasonable expectations that folks have in our country with respect to just this, I don't know, selfishness well, and not not understanding or willing to see the humanity of certain folks. You know, this this makes me think of some of the things that we heard about the Chinese team when um, uh, Dominique Dawes and, and Carrie Strug and them were, were in that head-to-head uh, uh, battles in, in the Olympics in those particular days. What did we hear? We heard all these excuses about why um, these Chinese gymnasts are are in this com- com- competition space. Um, you know, we, we hear, oh, it's, they, they, they're in a communist nation and they're only thing they get to do is gymnastics and and they're 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 beaten to submission to be this excellent and that's why it can't ever be the excellence there i can't imagine based on what i hear from family members who are in the gymnastics who, who train in gymnastics who are when they were young and coming up through you cannot tell me that simone biles and and sunisa lee did not encounter that same kind of um weird uh, kind of under the surface hate that comes to you in the form of there must be some other reason why you are excelling. And, you know, I even heard it before Simone Biles even came to the Olympics. You know, folks, my, my, my nieces would come and tell me things that they hear other people in other gymnastics teams as they go to their competitions say about Simone Biles, right? Because it can't be that they're that good. Um, the same thing about some of the Asian uh, uh, members of their team, right? When they excel and they kill it at an event in these, you know, you know, local competitions, the ones you come up through as you grow up, um, the things that people say that must be the reason why you are excelling. It can't just be because you're brilliant. I mean, let's be clear at this level. And I think y'all have said it already. Sunisa Lee and Simone Biles, that entire team, these are elite athletes. Sunisa won, period, right? 
But if that period comes with an asterisk under your breath, this is the thing, the kind of insidious thing that weaves in there. And what I don't want to see is people try to drag her brilliance or Simone's goatness, goat being greatest of all timeness, into into some kind of competition that's not there. It's the same, um, it's the same uh, gaslighting that. I saw happen um, when we were in this broil around the quote unquote rift between black and Asian communities. While I think there's stuff for us to discuss, I think it was blown out of proportion because folks cannot process that there actually can one be bridges and bonds between us and two, that the actual excellence is involved here. You know, and so I kind of bristle at any insinuation that there's any other reason for these folks to be at the top of their game and even go to the Olympics. One who has moves named after them, another who just brilliantly put on a display of of just elite professional athleticism at this level. That there's any other reason that they're there other than those two things. I mean, I just I can't stomach that. As we as we start to close up, I do want to say that um, another reason why Sunisa's accomplishments have been so meaningful is that it, it took a community to get her there. Mm. Right. Um, when we think about sports and just listening to my sisters um, and the time commitment from parents, um, the, the financial commitment is not feasible. It's not always feasible. Um, whether your child has talent or not. My, my niece, um, her coaches have suggested that she become, she start competing. Um, and my sister was unsure because of, you know, it would be four to five days a week that she would be taking my niece back and forth. Um, she has an, another son. She has a full-time job. Her <laughs> husband has a full-time job. Um, and then the costs for each day is up as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then, you know, so she was a little nervous, but of course now my little niece is like, oh my God, I want to be in the next Sunisa. <laughs> I want to do it, you know? And and so it, I remember when Sunisa was, was um, competing uh, to get on the team, um, just the amount of fundraising that the family had to do, mm-hmm. um, the community that came together to, to hold these events, to raise mm-hmm. the money. You know, Haley, you put up, you um, make some really important points with regard to affordability and exclusion as a result of that. How many talented young gymnasts, girls as well as boys, might there be in our communities on their own, but they can't go to the next step and the next level to become uh, competitors in that sport because of a, a lack of of resources. I mean, not only is it money, as you said, because it is very expensive, but the time. I mean, I we reflect back and and my husband and I often say, like, how did we do it? Mm-hmm. I mean, these were, but you know, you're in there at the moment and that level of frenzy is normal because the other parents, largely speaking, are, are doing that or they've got one um, parent who's a stay at home and, and they're able to cart the kids back and forth. But it is a huge commitment. Um, and then when you talk about the child, I mean, they still have to be a kid. They still have to do their homework. They still mm-hmm. want to play with their friends. Um, and again, it, it, it should come from the child with respect to their yearning. Uh, you know, our daughter was 
doing headstands in her in her crib when she was a year and a half. And I thought it was odd, but it was our first <laughs> child. And I thought, well, all kids do that. And then when we, she outgrew her, uh, her crib, she was about two and a half. She was doing headstands against the couch and, and the chairs. And I thought, well, maybe there's something here <laughs> at that point. Uh, but, you know, some kids just have a natural proclivity for, for these types of sports that parents are, you know, kind of unaware of until they reach out from, mm-hmm. uh, from underneath. Well, we always said like we were really into music too growing up and we had, we didn't, we always wanted to take lessons, but where could we do that? We didn't know how to do that. We didn't know where to go. And then I remember, um, I grew up on the west side of St. Paul and in elementary school, um, one year they were, they were starting the, uh, to give violin lessons. And I remember I was like, Oh, I really, really want to do that. I want to learn how to play an instrument, but there just there wasn't enough space for all the students who wanted to, so they drew names out of a hat, mm. you know. And it's like, well, my name didn't get drawn. And I always like sometimes, you know, you just think back, like if my parents had the means to get us the lessons for things that we wanted to do, you know, could we have done been some savant in something that we, you know, don't even know? I mean, we were thankful for things like urban tennis which allowed us to play tennis for free and we learned how to play tennis. And we, we all still love to play tennis, you know? And so we relied on those sorts of, of programs to introduce us and hope that, you know, we would be good enough or dedicated enough to continue going. Even if you wanted to, these, these um, barriers to, to what it takes um, to continue and to be able to go in and excel, um, are, are, are huge. You know, I'm glad you brought up urban tennis. My, my children and myself growing up <laughs> benefited from being able to do that. I remember my instructor, Miss Lucille, um, she, she held it down. Old Rondo black woman who just, who was, who, who I was at Holly Q at that one. And so, um, Holly Q Brown, uh, rec center. And so these, this barrier piece is, is, is important, you know, and it underscores something that you, um, are articulating Lee in the importance of this, right? And you've said it a couple of times in a couple of different ways. I can do this because I see it. I see that mm-hmm. it's possible. I see somebody who looks like me who's doing it. And I see that there is a roadmap, no matter how hard and how many of the barriers that are there. I wish it could be much more that folks could have the what's necessary to really see who could compete in here and not just who makes it through all the different um challenges it takes from the financial to the to the psychological to the even knowing what's you said it earlier knowing where these things are even being offered so i can know where to go do that but there's one important thing that can't be denied and that is that representation is here at this highest level and i've heard it from you in reference to your children but i've heard it in the kids that i serve um at the center um and i'm and one of the things that really i'm loving is to see little black girls in my space looking at Sunisa going, yes. So, so I just, I found it really, really fascinating to see that Sunisa represents yes for, for, for the Hmong community, for your community and all of that, but also with somebody who is, is it's translating to little black mm-hmm. girls too, that mm-hmm. because Sunisa could do it, I can do it too. And that is a shift that I'm really loving to hear from the kids that I'm serving. I'll say it in one quote, Marion Wright Edelman will often say, you can't dream it if you can't see it. Love it. That's exactly what's going on now with the generation of young girls who can see themselves in Sunisa and Simone. 
Um, I'll say this real quick. When my daughter was competing, she was often the only one in the entire competition who was not white. Well, that's changing. Thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you guys for listening. This has been another episode of Counter Stories. I'm Holly Lee, owner of the Other Media Group and producer of this show. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dentros Group and executive director of Arts Us. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General for the State of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions that I express are solely my own and should not be attributed to my employer. Thanks for listening. This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the other media group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.